My deep appreciation of theater history was instilled in me by Tom Empey, a college mentor to me and hundreds of others. While teaching Greek theater terms, he would grab the fabric of his slacks and say, You see these pants? Euripides, Eumenides making light of content that could be considered rather dry and stuffy while still maintaining respect for the art, which is what I want to do with this podcast. For each episode, I invite a guest from the many paths my theater career has taken me down. I give my guests no idea what we'll be talking about, but they know we're going to find an outrageous story about theater history and perhaps get a better understanding about why we're still doing it after all these years. So welcome to Euripides Humanities, and I am your host, Aaron Odom. Hello, my friends and listeners. This is Aaron Odom from Trident Theater in Sheridan, Wyoming, coming to you for another episode of Euripides, Eumenides, a theater history podcast. Thank you for taking your time to download this again today, and I appreciate all of you loyal followers who have stayed with us from the beginning. If you're here for the first time, awesome. I think I called out my friends in Sweden last time. Uh, got a big uptick there some somehow. I've also got some really cool following in uh, the UK. Hello, only chappies. That's terrible, isn't it? That's terrible. Okay. Uh, and <laughs> and I, I have a huge following in Germany, apparently. So thank you, Germany. Um, let me know if you want me to come out. I'd be happy to do it. But getting right into the episode today, I have a returning guest who, here we are in episode 47. Wow. Yeah, I know, right? This person was on episode number four. And so we haven't seen this person for 43 episodes. This <laughs> is my good old friend, Ashley Daniels. Hello, Ashley. Hello. Hi, everybody. And especially hello uh, to all of the European friends. If you want me to come visit, I will also, I'll tag along. <laughs> well, you just went, so that's not even fair. Uh, <laughs> but oh, sure. Ashley, so great to talk to you. It's been almost two years since we've had you on this thing. And you have had massive changes. Last time we talked to you, you were in Atlanta, still kind of working in the film industry, but now you've made the big shift to the big peanut. You are in LA now. Yeah, so I, um, I'm i still a member of IOTSE, um, which is the behind camera stuff, but mm -hmm. uh, I now work as an independent producer and development executive for Dogbone Entertainment, which is Dave Batista's new company. Oh, right. Oh, that's yeah. awesome. Oh, wow. Yeah. So cool. So cool. And so therefore, you have a ton of new projects on the horizon. Oh, I my do. word. <laughs> yeah. So we have like six projects coming up on the horizon. We just took writers pitches for one of them, um, oh which word. in true Halloween fashion is it's a horror movie and we're getting back to the writers on Halloween. So I thought that was a... <laughs> Nice touch. <laughs> um, That's amazing. But trying to get two more done before December. So we'll we'll see how it goes. <laughs> oh, man. That's great. As of now, like I've been at this for about six months. Um, and we're going to start shooting our first project here in two weeks that we're, we're co-producers on. It's um, it's called In the Lost Lands. It's, a, it's based on a George R.R. R. Martin book. 
Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So just throwing some names out there. Yeah. Uh, right. So, but we we're tagging along on this project. So this isn't entirely our baby, but then as of January of next year, everything will be one, not 100% because, you know, we partner with right, like right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Netflix and oh man, um, but everything will be, you know, our baby. So Ashley, it's very that exciting. Is- that is such an amazing development for you. I am so happy that that's happening, and yeah. and 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 it's it's fun to see how the film industry has been changing uh, post pandemic because you know you have you have a lot of folks now who are just actually kind of used to watching movies at home, and so the whole theater experience is is becoming something different. And I I you know I just I just love to watch things evolve. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I'm, I'm sure this is, you know, daily conversation for you. What's going to get people to download or stream more or actually, you know, maybe go see a movie in the theater anymore. That's wow. Cool. Um, so I guess <laughs> that's an OK segue into where we're going today. <laughs> In very specific entertainment. Um, so in in uh, typical fashion, I usually don't tell my guests what we're going to be talking about. And I didn't even give you any hints. Sometimes no. I drop hints. Uh, but today, Ashley, speaking of very uh, nuanced entertainment and trying to fit a product to a demographic. Um, what comes to mind when I say the word jesters? Oh, Jesters. I mean, Mm -hmm. like the King's Court and, you know, I mean, Mm -hmm. man, you all get me. (laughs) (laughs) They're entertainment. They're sort of like the minstrels of the court. Like they tell stories and, you know, are basically the entertainment for the king and queen and often would get beheaded a lot. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> I mean, or I don't killed, go, you know. Yeah, I don't go into that kind of detail here, but yes, that did actually happen. <laughs> so, jesters. And um, I would suggest, you know, as we're just talking about how the film industry is changing, uh, I'm going to just go ahead and throw it out there that I believe there was certainly a greater need for entertainment in medieval times and onward. <laughs> I mean, plague after plague after plague after plague. We just need something to uh, entertain ourselves. Yeah. So as you were suggesting, the wealthy and the royal often seem to have a need for an entertainer that they could claim possession over or to whom they could just have exclusive access. So in cultures all over the world, actually, and not just Europe, jesters have been somewhat single-handedly picked to be the direct source of entertainment to the ruling classes. Now, because of this, jesters got the unique privilege to be able to comment directly to their masters about the political affairs of their masters. So as you can imagine, there might be some temerity towards saying, oh, king, I don't believe what you're doing is uh, helping anybody at all. You know, Off with your head. Um, but <laughs> the jester got to do that in really, really direct fashion. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So on one hand, this could be so that the ruler could hear critique in a very direct and explicitly candid fashion. So, you know, a buddy telling you, hey, man, that's not the coolest movie you've ever made before. And then you could listen to that and go, oh, OK, I trust your word. You 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 you're in it for me. On another hand, the rulers may have hired these jesters from lower classes as a means to have direct access to how royal policies would affect the lower classes because the kings are so far removed, they have no idea what's going on. Yeah. Oh, man. That 
I could not imagine being in that position as a jester. Like, oh my being, god, <laughs> being from a lower class and suddenly being invited into the closest inner circle of the royal court mm-hmm. and supposed to be a source of entertainment, supposed to rib those people, but do it in such a way that doesn't get you killed yeah. and do that pretty much anytime they want entertainment. Very little prep involved, like. Right. That to me, way too much stress. <laughs> oh God, you know that maybe... that would be like improv on steroids. <laughs> well, you know what that may- just made me think of was uh, when Cecily Strong was still in SNL. I think she is still. I can't remember. And th- a very sensitive topic, and I'm not trying to make light of this, but uh, you know, before Roe v. Wade was overturned, she went on Weekend Update as this clown character and talked about how awful it was that women's rights were being uh you know put on the chopping block and at the same time she has like honking horns in her hand and a spinning tie and everything to just make it oh i forgot about that um (laughs) and i thought it was an absolutely brilliant way to address that topic so you know maybe that's maybe that's how our jesters in this story um uh, but but then again maybe not um (laughs) But actually, it is this characteristic of being able to speak directly from the lower class to the upper class that most people actually associate the jester with, not his like mm. rag costumes and the hat with the bells and everything or the pointy toes. It's this it's this ability to speak so frankly to directly to the source of power. And most People believe that the jester was tolerated for his antics. I mean, as you were saying, they got beheaded a lot. But a lot of times they actually were able to keep their head. And this, you know, blunt relationship with royalty, because the jester was almost never in that role to gain power. Like, it was just a job. Uh, and, And often a jester would be rewarded pretty handsomely for their services to the crown, knowing that in exchange for a few off-color jokes and some frank commentary, they wouldn't have to worry about being destitute and thus no need to launch a coup or a rise to power. This is why you never see jesters in Game of Thrones. (laughs) (laughs) Throw back to George R.R. Martin again. Yeah, Uh, (laughs) He's just on the brain today. Well, yeah, but at the same time, you're not wrong. Like I, I'm, I'm thinking back. I've seen that whole series. I only watched it once, but yeah, I can't think of too many other sources of entertainment besides brothels. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I don't think there ever was like a jester in the court. Like no, no, that was ever seen in House of Dragons or Game of Thrones. Yeah, and there might there might have been musicians and yeah. it feels like I saw like jugglers or something at some point. I don't they know. They just they don't have a place because they just don't want to rise to power. <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> it's not part of the show. You can only be in this show if you're bloodthirsty, okay? <laughs> no jokes here. Uh-huh. Yeah. Now it's actually pretty interesting to realize that a good portion of Chinese theater actually evolved from jester-like sketches. Comedic interludes, very similar to the Lazzi in Commedia dell'arte. In fact, the original Chinese word for jester is also the same word for actor or performer. So it's very possible that the term actually melds all of these roles in one singular definition. They are just that inseparable in Chinese theater. Hmm. I don't know. It's not related to the story too much here. I just read that while I was researching. That's actually quite fascinating. 
That is and, kind of fascinating. Yeah. Now, here's something. Uh, you know, I started off by asking, okay, what, what do you think of jesters? Check this out. Most Chinese people could identify by name at least one or two historic jesters, but virtually no one in the West can identify a jester by name. Uh, most would likely cite uh, the fools in Shakespeare's plays, most notably the fool in King Lear, who has all of these traits I've already described. He, mm -hmm. he can speak directly to the king about political affairs, has a lot of actual tenderhearted kindness and compassion towards this king, but also is very, is very goofy. <laughs> and it's one of the most sought after roles in Shakespeare. But, you know, I started to think about it and just off the top of my head, I can think of like two, you know, I there's, I don't think I can even name one. Oh my God. Uh, it just made me realize, did you ever do a magical dinner? Um, I did. We did. Oh, we did. Um, I think it was a Midsummer Night's Dream, but it was like an abbreviated, like we just did little yeah, okay. snippets of it. Okay. But yeah. Um, so uh, for those of you that aren't aware, Magical Dinner is like a holiday uh, yuletide feast in which, you know, it's a medieval setting and everything. And it's often done in high schools or community theaters or stuff. Um, I got the privilege to direct the play portion of it. So, you know, you have a whole bunch of people buy tickets and they come and they sit and people in costume bring out dinner and they feast on turkey and, you know, all kinds of uh, older medieval recipes and you might not eat with actual utensils or something like that. But the jester that we had in one of these was uh, based on a French uh, jester. And I'm not sure if it was a mime first, I can't remember, but his name was Pierrot. And the script that we got for this play I staged in like 2003 uh made a lot of fun of the idea that Pierrot sounded like the last name of Ross Perot. So Pierrot <laughs> was doing all kinds of these little, uh, can I just finish one time? Oh can my just God. It was so awful. <laughs> 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 but the other one that I could probably think of is Harlequin. Oh yeah. You know, which is based on Commedia dell'arte character Arlecchino, but kind of, merged into that you know diamond shaped costume you know uh with the the mask and the and everything that you know today's fans of batman know harley quinn kind of bases her costume on but really other than that we kind of can't think of any so here I'll, I'll i'll introduce you to a couple um in the ninth century you have a man named balul B-U-H-L-U-L, and he was a jester to the Arabic caliph Harun al-Rashid. Balul was once asked by the great caliph who he most admired. Balul replied, the person who most fills my belly. <laughs> I mean, as a Taurus and as a Hufflepuff, I respect that. <laughs> <laughs> now, here we go. Continuing on, the caliph responded, if I fill it, will you admire me? Balul is recorded to have replied, perhaps, but you can't obtain admiration on credit. <gasps> <laughs> Direct to the throne. See, if that was me, I would like drop that zinger, which I could never be a jester anyways, because I can't do zingers. I'm not like, I'll think, like three days later and I'll be like, oh, I should have said that. 
Nice. I'd like, oh, dang it. I'm going to write that I down. If I had that ability to zinger like that, I'd like drop it and then immediately like. Yeah, like dust cloud follows me behind. Absolutely. Here's another one named Nasrudin. And here's a longer quote that I found about this. This is great. There's a less blunt but punchier example of forthrightness regarding a Middle Eastern king who was meeting out pretty harsh punishments. 800 lashes for this man, 1,200 for that, 1,500 for another. His jester, Nasruddin, interrupted him with an apparently irrelevant question. Oh, king, do you know everything? Of course I do, snapped the king. Then how could you inflict such punishment? Either you don't know the meaning of the number 1500, or you don't know the sting of a whip. Damn. <laughs> mm-hmm. Wow. I mean, after like 10 lashes, you're done. You're done oh, yeah. feeling that. I mean, 1500 is like just Woo! killing someone. That like, is just, literally that's... whipping them into pudding. Yeah. <laughs> Ugh. Man, but yeah, I have no idea what ha- ever happened to Nasruddin, but I love that account. So, while some jesters were picked for their wit like that, their ability to speak to a king with shocking frankness, or simply their ability to make people laugh. <laughs> and I think uh, if uh, if you listeners are are uh, kind of familiar with my rhythm, this is usually what we call the turn. <laughs> some jesters were chosen for other reasons, and here's a quote. Of course, jesters could be further distinguished by an array of physical or mental abnormalities. Dwarfs and hunchbacks seem to have been prime candidates for the jester's role in many parts of the world, from the Chinese to the Aztec courts. In terms of mental quirks, while madness, real or feigned, has occasionally enjoyed a certain respect in the Islamic world, as well as in China, Russia, and elsewhere, medieval Europe appears to have made a bigger deal out of it. Interesting. Uh Uh-huh. I, I heard about this uh, topic a while ago, and I went, oh, my God, I'm writing a script about that. And I don't know <laughs> if I need to apologize in advance that I'm doing this with you, Ashley, but here we go. All right, I'm ready. From 12th century Great Britain, we have a document known as the Book of Fees, which basically serves as a ledger for accounts paid by the crown and the payment for services to the crown. One payee was listed under several different names, but most significantly as Roland Le Fartre, or in English, Roland the Farter. <laughs> All right. It seems that Roland's single duty towards the crown was at the annual Christmas feast when he was contracted to perform a dance which ended with the following, written in the Book of Fees in Latin, Unum Saltum et Sifutum at unum boombaloom. Translated into English, this means one jump, a whistle, and one fart, all to be performed at the same time. <laughs> I... <laughs> That's amazing. I... Is that all supposed to come from his rum? Nope. 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 Okay, he good. <laughs> Man, I mean, no shade. That is talent. Whistling oh, and farting. Oh, oh we're, we're going to get to uh, talent <laughs> here in a little bit. Um, I'm more impressed that through my research, I found the Latin word for fart, boom balloon. I know. I was going to say that that 
really is a probably a better way to describe a fart is boom balloon. <laughs> boom balloon. <laughs> yes. I think my niece and nephew are now going to learn not fart, but boom balloon from me. Now. I like that. I mm-hmm. like that. Yeah. Yep. Now for this, Roland was awarded quite well. The Book of Fees states that for his services to the crown, he was to be awarded a manor house and 30 acres of land. (laughs) (laughs) Well, sign me up. I will whistle and fart at the Christmas dinner all you want for some land and a house. (laughs) That's your one job a year. Right? Like, come on, bring on the Brussels sprouts, baby. (laughs) (laughs) Roland's history, though, is somewhat obscure. We don't have much more to go on than his listings in the Book of Fees. Based on the time that his entry in the book was first noted, it means that he would have served in the court of King Henry I. And as quite often happened, upon the demise of a king, the jester would be inherited by his successor. So Roland also served in the court of King Henry II. However, by the next successor which is believed to be King Henry III, Roland's line was struck from the ledger. Oh. Yeah. This would have meant... Yeah, poor guy. This would have meant that Roland was actually practicing his craft during the reign of three different kings or approximately 120 years. So it's a little, little spotty, but... So when it was struck from the ledger during the reign of the third king, it's most likely that Roland had died... And his estate was now in the hands of his descendants. Oh, my God. So Fart Palace uh, went to the kids. Uh, But being removed from the ledger also meant that the manor house would most likely have been removed from Roland's progeny. Oh, dang. (laughs) It was determined that this was done because the last king determined Roland's service to be, quote, indecent. Well... (laughs) You know, I I think a house and some land is maybe a lot for someone who farts at your Christmas party once a year. I mean, that's kind of cold, just taking I, fart house away. Yeah, I've, I've never been a king, and so I don't know how I would react in that situation. Could you imagine if, like, Downton Abbey was the fart palace? <laughs> how did you make your money? Well, it's an interesting story. <laughs> well, actually, we come from a long line of Christmas Eve parties. <laughs> I'm really was... sorry. I'm sorry, your European <laughs> listeners. I'm so sorry. Hey, it's their history, man. It's their history. <laughs> oh, I was apologizing for the brutal accent that I just got. Uh, I've heard worse. Um, <laughs> but okay, now this is great. So this king thought this was indecent. You also have to keep in mind that during medieval times, just about everything in society was a reminder of the impending afterlife. And all of your actions collectively determined where you were going to spend eternity after death, heaven or hell. So the act of flatulence was apparently something of a reminder of decomposition or decay as food goes in the body as one thing and comes out as another thing. A similar metaphor of life. We are not escaping the slow process of decay and eventual death. So apparently... All of this was in the minds of people whenever anyone broke wind. That's heavy. That's so heavy. That's so heavy. Like, <laughs> you just took that straight to a 10. But Oh, my God. 
I mean, they're having plague after plague. Like if we had, you know, if we were living mm-hmm. through what they were living through, mm-hmm. I imagine everything would probably remind you of death. Death. But oh, like, yeah. That's but, heavy. you know, that occasional fart in church, you know, just a little toot and you go, oh. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. I'm going to die. <laughs> you just pass gas and immediately break down. <laughs> I just can't stand it. but on the other hand who can deny the surprise and delight and silliness that our bodies put us through this is why it's thought that professional public flatulence was approved by royalty so frequently and it didn't just occur in 12th century england Hmm. in the 8th century in ireland entire bands of performers known as brugador pretty much literally translated into modern English as farters, were noted in ledgers as being paid, quote, the fat of the shoulder of hunted game for their gassy services in royal court. Oh, my God. A fart choir. Like, could you imagine how skilled you'd have to be to fart in harmony? (laughs) That's amazing. Yeah, like. No, no, you're flat. You're flat. Let's do it again. From the top, everyone, have your beans. (laughs) And around the same time as Roland in the 12th century, Irish flatulists, yes, that's the actual term, Irish flatulists were noted to have attended a table of the banquet hall of the High King of Ireland. So they were celebrities. They were like the One Direction of (laughs) yesterday. That's amazing. <laughs> I mean, you know, every bachelor season, those people are celebrities just for that flash in the pan thing. You know, exactly. I, I was listening to a podcast the other day where it's like, you know, that like some of them, they just meet at a table and they go, you know, it'd be really good for our brand if we dated for like the next three months and then you know, we <laughs> broke it off. But people are really going to buy into it. And like whatever we endorse, they're into. <laughs> oh, yeah. So yeah, business transaction. These are the these are the uh, uh, these are the bachelors and bachelorettes, maybe. Well, and I wonder too because like baths were so infrequent. Like oh yeah, like you were really something if you could like bathe regularly. And I wonder if it was because people were so stinky that farts weren't such a big deal. (laughs) Could be that could be like they were like it already smells in here. We we throw our refuse into the street. Yeah. (laughs) Everything, there's no sewage. It just always smells. Yeah. I mean, that, you know, looking back on Game of Thrones, that's what I have to think. Like, it's so funny to watch these people just in absolute, you know, grandeur and luxury and everything. And uh, spoilers, everybody. Uh, Tywin Lannister gets killed on a chamber pot. That was amazing. And you yeah. have to think that somebody had to throw that out of the window after they pulled his corpse off it. Yeah. Um, and, 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 but everything was smelly. Everything yeah. was smelly. Yeah. Oh man. Indeed, even further back in the timeline, Saint Augustine of Hippo wrote in his, I think it was fifth century, uh, wrote in his book City of God about people who could quote produce at will such musical sounds from their behind without any stink that they seem to be singing from the region. 
Stop. Oh, no. I'm just getting warmed up. Without any stink. Without any stink. How could you? Oh, oh. By the end of this, you'll find out how. Um, I'm going to have so much respect for farts now. (laughs) (laughs) This is going to be with somebody who's very close to you, and they're going to break wind, and you're like, good on you, man. Good on you. Be like, did Um, you know? (laughs) Hey, hey, hey. I've got quite a schooling. Um. But this wasn't just a phenomenon in Europe. Japan had its fair share of flatulent talent. In a scroll from the Kamakura era, which is approximately 1185 to 1333 CE, the scroll tells a story called The King of Farts, which includes a character named Fukutomi no Oribe, described as someone who, quote, performed fart dances for the aristocracy, and also, quote, trumped his neighbor Toda who tried to mimic the master farter, but soiled himself. <laughs> You're walking a very fine line there. You gotta, you know. <laughs> Never trust uh, a fart. <laughs> yeah, not the not the stinky farts and not the ooh, farts, not the sharts. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. And of course, the, the king of farts, the story is a fictional story, but nonetheless, professional flatulists were noted in Japan by the 1700s. Closer to today, you have the Hay Gassen or fart battle <laughs> and there is no intention of pun in uh the term hegasin <laughs> <laughs> it's a competition in japan's edo period that ranged from about 200 to 400 years ago okay so we're getting close oh here my gosh. this was definitely part of an entertainment style very similar to what we call sideshows in which all manners of human oddities were displayed these were called misemono and they were everywhere on the streets. Here's a quote. One of the more popular Misamono stars was a man called Kirifuri Hanasaki Otoko, meaning, quote, the mist-descending flower blossom man, <laughs> who, in 1774, demonstrated his ability to take in quantities of air and release it in modulated flatulent arias. 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 Not just not just sound, not song, an aria of flatulence. I'm amazed up to this point you or I have not made any fart noises, but <laughs> I think we'll just leave it to everybody's imagination. <laughs> well, I mean really, we could just be having silent flatulent arias over here and no oh, one would ever know. See, and that's just it. Yeah, I mean I'm sitting here, I'm I'm having my morning coffee. You never know what's already happening here. <laughs> But check this out. This is great. This is so great. The Hegasin was also partly used to show displeasure for the Western influence that was starting to encroach upon Japan. The Japanese people would often depict the Westerners being blown out of the country by a massive onslaught of <laughs> Japanese farts. <laughs> Get out! That's, that's, that's the best military tactic I have ever heard. You want world peace? Have a very fiber-filled meal. Get all your citizens, line them up on the coast. Fart wind, everyone. About face! (laughs) (laughs) So, okay, we've uh, we've played in Japan for a while. Let's go back to Europe to, oh my God, one of my favorite people I've ever actually had to study. The delight (laughs) that I had researching this next guy was just phenomenal. I've had a great few days. (laughs) 
1892. 1892! A performer had grown to such fame in Paris with his gassy act that he was able to ascend to play a long-running solo show at the famous Moulin Rouge. Oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, so was he doing it like... Was he farting and also like scandally clad? No, no, oh no, no, no. Yeah, I'm getting I'm gonna get into it. Here we go. Okay, okay. The show was trending so hard that the king of Belgium even attended a performance incognito. <laughs> the performer was Le Petoman, which roughly translates to the maniac farter. <laughs> <laughs> That's gotta be like a D-list DC villain somewhere. <laughs> You smell that? I know who's been here, Robin. (laughs) (laughs) The maniac Potter Man! (laughs) No, 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 no. Oh. And then they do the theme song all in farts for that episode. Yep, exactly, exactly. Oh my God. Okay, I promise you, I am not making this name up. Le Petter Man, in his youth, was a young man named Joseph Pujol. Okay. I laugh every single time <laughs> that one of the greatest athletes we have in the modern era is a baseball star named Pujols. <laughs> so anyway, in his youth, Joseph Pujol was swimming the waters of Côte d'Azur while vacationing with his family. Taking a deep breath and diving below the surface, Joseph soon realized that he had a cold feeling entering through his backside. What had happened is that Joseph had discovered he could actually, air quotes, inhale water through his sphincter and then subsequently eject the inhaled water at tremendous velocity. Oh, my God. For those of you listening, that was the sound of Ashley putting her face in her hands. (laughs) So here's a quote I found about uh, young Joseph. At first... Pujol used his talent to shoot water incredible distances, as far as five meters by the time he was an adult. But soon he discovered that he could intake air and release it how he wanted. After a career in the army where his talent naturally blossomed, he began performing at local music halls, tooting out La Marseille and Au Clair de Lune by means of an inserted tube attached to an ocarina and doing impressions. I have no words. What talent? This is this is an art that has been lost in the modern day. Wait a minute. Can I just <laughs> go back to say how you said you had no words but talent? That was funny. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boom. But okay, you were asking earlier, is he doing this all in the nude? Le Petaman was not just any clownish performer, but actually approached his act quite seriously. He is described to wear a concert tuxedo, much like a pianist or a conductor. He made sure to explain to his audience that his expulsions had no odor, as they were not the result of food being processed by the digestive system, and that he washed his instrument inside and out daily. Wow. (laughs) Wow. And in performance, he would expound into a big megaphone for an entire auditorium to be able to hear, and his repertoire expanded far beyond being able to mimic popular songs and impressions. (laughs) Here's a great quote. He could smoke a cigarette with his bottom and blow out candles and even the gas jets in the footlights. (laughs) This guy would make a killing on OnlyFans. 
Oh my god! Oh my god! Like, could you imagine? He would be like a billionaire, the first OnlyFans billionaire. That could. uh, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. That's exactly where this needs to go. (laughs) Right. My God. Somebody needs to make a documentary about this guy. (laughs) Oh, oh, hold on, hold on. Le Petaman was also able to fart at least four notes of a musical scale in tune as well. Do, me, sol, and an octave jump to do. Wow. Do, me, sol, do. <laughs> That's some range. Like, <laughs> for not having vocal cords down there. That's pretty impressive. Oh, and I mentioned impressions? Oh, boy. Well, besides being able to produce a sound similar to thunder... Here's a description of what his act started with. (laughs) He would proceed with a program of fart impressions, as it were. The timid fart of a young girl. The hearty fart of a miller. The fart of a bride on her wedding night, almost inaudible. (laughs) And the fart of the bride a week later, a lusty raspberry. (laughs) Oh, Ashley, this might be... One of the favorite lines I have ever said on this show. And a majestic 10-second fart, which he likened to a couturier cutting six feet of calico cloth. That's so oddly specific. <laughs> you know what it sounds Yeah, when, when, when we gotta cut a big swatch of cloth. Listen, just listen. Okay, now I'll do mine. And that people in the audience were like, oh, yeah, that's exactly yep, what that yep. sounds like. I've heard that. I've, I've heard that I've before. heard that. Mm-hmm. And then every time they go and get a swatch of calico cloth cut, then they're just sitting there going, <laughs> it's <laughs> <for the> <laughs> You farted. <laughs> but the, here we go. There's, oh, God, I love Lepetamon. Lepetamon was the subject of several medical studies, which all proclaimed he was in excellent health and essays were written about his impressive abilities to inhale and exhale rectally. <laughs> Unfortunately, Le Petamon's career at Moulin Rouge was cut short because the club owner sued Le Petamon for breach of contract when he found out Le Petamon was doing private nude shows for wealthy and curious patrons because they were just like, no, really, what's going on down there? <laughs> so it was like, I will show you. He started OnlyFans. There you go. <laughs> oh my God. Turn of the century OnlyFans. But the club owner also found out that Lepetamon performed some of his stunts for free at a nearby gingerbread stand. Don't taint the gingerbread like that, dude. <laughs> oh my God. Could you, like, could you imagine ginger is so, like, aromatic? Mm-hmm. Do you think he did it over there so that his his butt wind would um that's when it yep, ginger? that that might be oh oh my god yeah and then he just stored it and he's like mm, we'll save this for the show tonight that would actually be I hate to say this on a podcast but that would actually be really pleasant <laughs> <laughs> like could you just imagine like a strong controlled wind of ginger coming at you you're sitting on the couch with your honey and you're binging a show and you feel a rumble next to you, and you go, oh, God. oh, oh, that's nice. <laughs> oh, honey, that smells just like my grandma's gingerbread cookie from my childhood. It's a little warm, but it's, it's okay. It's pleasant. <laughs> <laughs> but, but being sued by the club owner of Moulin Rouge did not stop Le Petaman. He settled out of court, 
And being one of the most sought after and well-paid acts of the day, he was able to open his own nightclub and stayed in business until World War I broke out. No! <laughs> no! No! That's too recent! <laughs> but when World War I broke out, that's when Le Petamon retired from show business and he died in 1945 at the age of 88. I just, like, there's people who are alive right now who could have seen his acts. I saw a man blow out a candle on the stage. I swear. <laughs> I saw a man blow gingerbread out of his asshole. Mm, sure you did, Virginia. Here are your pills. Lepetta <laughs> Man left behind quite a legacy, though. Several plays and musicals have been written about his life, including The Fartiste... And a passing wind. <laughs> Check this out, Ashley. Oh my God. When the 1953 Broadway play Can Can was rewritten in 2007, it included Le Petaman as a character and confidant to the lead character Pistache. Oh my God. And. Oh my God. Per your suggestion, a short biographical like a biopic was made in scotland in 1979 simply titled le pet man and the entirety of which can be found on youtube and i'll include a link in the description of this episode i'm watching that immediately <laughs> today flatulists are not as high in demand but there are still a few out there mr methane probably being the most well-known as soon as I said I was doing this episode, one, Andra, the woman who walks beside me, goes, who are you going to get for a guest? I said, I'm probably going to get Ashley for this. And, like, <laughs> and she goes, you're expecting to talk to a woman for an hour about professional farts? I went, yes, I do. <laughs> yes, I <laughs> listen, listen, I have two brothers. I'm well versed in the world of farts. <laughs> I hold my own. I'm not ashamed. <laughs> I once, Ashley, I once, uh, I, I once knew a girl in college who said she never pooped. And I'm like, that is physically impossible. Uh, you what? have to have the most active digestive system I've ever heard of, if that's the case. Yeah. I'd be very concerned to know what her urine looks like. I know. <laughs> if she's not pooping. And what her brain looks like, to be 100% honest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, as soon as she said that, I went, yeah, that's not true. I really hope, I really hope that you said, well, I think you're full of shit. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> oh. That's my only zinger that I get for today. I love it. That was a good one. That was a good one. And you didn't disappear in a puff of smoke. I did it. And I mean, when did you go to college? This was probably. Oh, I this mean, was almost 25 years ago at this point. Yeah. See, so I'm keeping to my promise that I can't think of it in the moment, but 25 <laughs> years later, I got you. <laughs> so the other thing that Andrew said when I said I'm going to do this, she goes, Mr. Methane. I'm like, who? <laughs> and I looked this guy up. Ashley, he has appeared on television multiple times, being a frequent guest on Howard Stern. And he was on Britain's Got Talent. <gasps> I just, I need to know what Simon Cowell said. <laughs> <laughs> Don't quit your day job. 
Uh, I can just, I can hear the disappointment already. Yeah. <laughs> but I guess this, like, I, I read a little bit of an interview with this guy and he says, you know, I, it started out as just a goofy trick I could do in college and everything. And then uh, people started like booking me and they're like, can you come and fart in, in our bar? And he's like, well, I guess I might as well. Cause he could do the same thing that Lepetamon could do. He oh. like could suck it in and then yeah. release it uh, when he wanted to. And he's, it, it's so funny. Like, you know, you talk to people who are very skilled, like, acrobats or contortionists or uh you know sword swallows fire eaters stuff like that and there's a lot that goes into that stuff mr methane was saying things like in your act you can't laugh because laughing comes from the diaphragm and oh, no. if you suck in air up there and you laugh well you just ruined the next like two minutes of your act oh because no. you push out the stuff he says he has to keep in incredible shape. Like he has to exercise frequently because he has to maintain like good core muscles and stuff because yeah. that's how he does it. Like you suck it in and then you pinch like really, really hard. And then you figure out how to contract just enough to let out certain sounds. <laughs> I bet he would be really great at Kegel exercises. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're going to have a baby? Oh, I'll teach you what to do. <laughs> If he ever loses a job in farts, then he can go into Kegels. I don't know. Yep, yep. <laughs> but similar to what you were suggesting, you've never really heard of these people before, but they're actually still out there. I mean, like I said, we've got Mr. Methane. He's not the only one. But unfortunately, in today's age where crazy behavior is readily available on the internet or social media, booking these type of acts for exclusive one-night events has become more and more difficult, almost to the point of extinction. As far as jesters are concerned, the political commentary they once were able to spout directly to the leader of the nation is now reserved somewhat for political cartoons and stand-up comics. Whether or not their commentary gets to the ruler of the country for consideration is debatable. Mm. And that is the story of flagellists. <laughs> Why? Well, I had no idea where this was going, but I have so much respect. Oh my God. For these musical farters. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I first heard about Roland the Farter and that he was given a given a manor house. And you're like, what? No way. This is crazy. And then, I, yeah. then I keep reading and you're like, oh, my God, it was huge in Japan. And then you hear about this Le Pentamon guy. He was I mean, he was uh, my German friends. Tell me about David Hasselhoff. Huh? Huh? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, but like, what a career, especially. Mm. Like to look back in your history, like if you got on like ancestry.com and you traced your lineage back to like Lepetamon. Oh my God. You'd be like royalty. Like you could literally <laughs> be like, oh, your great, great, great grandmother was Anne Boleyn. Well, <laughs> do I have one for you? <laughs> I come from one of the most renowned fortunes in the world. <laughs> What's your claim to fame? <laughs> oh, God. But, like, it's so funny. Like, I, my last episode was all about perceived graphicness in George Bernard Shaw plays when uh, uh, Mrs. Warren's profession was put on and everybody got crazy offended to think that, oh, well, when women are, you know, forced uh, to be destitute in this 
patriarchal capitalist society, then prostitution and sex work is always going to be an economic option for women. Yeah. And that's an unfortunate thing. But they all just went, oh, they're talking about it. Ew. <laughs> and this is happening at the same time that Le Petiman is at the peak of his career in France. Yeah. Which is exactly what Shaw was saying. Like, you Americans and your ridiculous crusade for propriety, come on over to Paris and watch this man fart into a megaphone. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I wonder, too, if, like, in the beginning... I don't know if this is quite true for Le Petiman, but like for some of the earlier people that were farters, if they were coming from the lower class and performing for royalty, if that was sort of a, oh, well, the lower class, like, you know, this is, they can do this, but we're, we're above that. We're, we don't fart. We don't. don't. Would you like to see what the heathens and the lower ranks can do? (laughs) (laughs) They think this is a talent. Come satisfy us with your wind. (laughs) that was good wasn't it yes it was Mm, i just i want to know like i'm the queen of england or whatever and i've invited all my friends over for my birthday party (laughs) and on the invitation come join us for a symphony of winds (laughs) (laughs) oh that sounds lovely yeah they're like oh we're going to see a lovely trumpet show well you're getting a real trumpet show (laughs) There was one image that I saw, speaking of trumpets, for that musical called The Fartiste. And I don't think it went very far, but it ran for a little while in a very small market. But the guy who played Le Petiman has a trumpet to his mouth and a trumpet to his butt. Oh, my God. And, <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, it might not have been entirely accurate, but okay, okay, we'll take that. But we, we get it. We get it. And honestly, probably not far off. Do yeah. a lot. I bet it can. I bet it can. I bet. I'm. I'm. I, no. I don't. I don't want to satisfy this curiosity anymore, Ashley. <laughs> <laughs> we almost went there. We almost went. Hmm. I have a clarinet in the other room. <laughs> Not the clarinet. <laughs> but everybody. Oh God. There it is. I'm gonna end this with a great terrible pun. You know, just about everybody in elementary school learned how to play on the recorder hot cross buns. And indeed they were. (laughs) (laughs) I'm getting applause. I'm getting applause. Ashley, thanks for joining me today on this very enlightening episode. (laughs) Yes, thank you. This was amazing. (laughs) Oh, man. And now I'm I'm wondering what you'll say next time I ask you to appear on the show. Oh, I'm I'm 100% down. And I know next time I pass gas in public and someone snubs their nose at me, I'm going to be like, excuse me, this is a talent. <laughs> I'm working on my act. I'm working on my act. Thank you. <laughs> Rude. Oh, man. Well, okay. I'm going to go ahead and close this one out. Holy smokes. Uh, Ashley, thank you again so much for coming on. I hope we can get you back again sometime. That was just lovely to have that conversation with you this morning. However, this is Aaron Odom signing off from Trident Theater in Sheridan, Wyoming for another episode of Euripides, Humanities, a theater history podcast. We'll get another one out to you in another two weeks, and I will see you at intermission.